Hi, this is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church in Richmond, Texas. Thank you for streaming or downloading this podcast today. I hope this resource blesses you. If you haven't joined us at a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we want you to come. You can find all that information and more at rin-church.org. I pray that you are encouraged today by the proclamation of God's word. We started a new series this past week called Lost Arts. And what we're looking at is, if there was an endangered species list of the Christian life, what would be on it? What, what are the things that are like a lost art, some things that maybe have been carried over generations but are coming to our generation and there's, like, there's this um, threat of extinction? And what is that threat? And what is the things that are, that are being threatened? And we're looking at those. And um, last week we talked about gathering, how modern life, the busyness of our modern life, and kind of the, the mode of life that we're in, plus a pandemic, have made it very, very hard for us to gather, to assemble as believers. Today, I want to talk about something on the opposite side of the spectrum. Because not only do I think it's harder than ever to gather as the church, I think it's harder than ever to be alone with God. Today, I want to talk about the art of abiding, the art of abiding. That's, that's the, the title of our message today. And I want to show you a clip of an article. It's by Andrew Sullivan. And this was in New York Magazine in September of 2016. He's not a professing Christian. Uh, he has kind of a Roman Catholic heritage. And he wrote something interesting that was insightful and it's insightful for the time that we live in and for this lost art series. And so I'll read this to you. Here's what he says. By the way, the name of the article was called, I Used to Be a Human Being. And he's a famous blogger. He started blogging early on when blogs were a brand new thing. And he, um, he kind of became addicted to the digital world. It's like he, he was scouring the internet for, for clips and articles and things that he could incorporate into his blog, and he was trying to update his blog every 30 minutes, and it's like his whole life crashed, and so he wrote some things about the crash and what he learned afterwards, and, and this was from the article. It says, modernity slowly weakened spirituality by design and by accident in favor of commerce. It downplayed silence and the mere and mere being in favor of noise and constant action. The reason we live in a culture increasingly without faith is not because science has somehow disproved the unprovable, but because the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which it might endure or be reborn. If churches came to understand that the greatest threat to faith today is not hedonism, but distraction, perhaps they might begin to appeal anew to a frazzled digital generation. Wow. 
how insightful the white noise of secularism has removed the very stillness in which spirituality might endure or be reborn. I think it's harder than ever to be alone with God. We have um, the challenge, really, of having the world at our fingertips. We have these devices. We have our computers. We have streaming devices attached to our televisions. And it's like at any moment, we can just jump on and grab the next thing. And I think that's really, really challenging for us as people who need to be nourished in the abiding place with Jesus. We're, we're going to be in John chapter 15 if you have a copy of scripture. And we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8. And this is a, a portion of scripture that you probably have read, you probably heard, you probably know about, you probably know where I'm going already today. But I just want to acknowledge that I think as Christians, very few of us feel safe enough to admit how little of God's presence we experience day in, day out, week by week. We seldom feel the nearness of God. And the question is, is the problem more our absence or his? Is it more about our distraction than his disconnection? Because the white noise that gives us the FOMO, fear of missing out, FOMO, it, it leads us to believe that there's something significant happening always, right? It's like you, you're... I can't remember what the stats were, but how many times we touch our phones. It's like we, we have a sense like there's all this stuff going on in the web, right? We can get entangled in the web, but Jesus is going to speak to us today about being connected to the vine, and they're, they're different. They're very, very different, and I think that this FOMO about missing something significant might just be what causes us to miss what is significant. Does that make sense? The fear of missing out on something significant might be the very thing that causes us to miss what is most significant. John chapter 15, starting in verse 1. The words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. And he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing Without me, verse six, if anyone does not remain in me, he's thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. 
My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. So here we have this passage, and Jesus uses this symbolic image of the vine, and he says, I am the true vine. This is the seventh of seven I am statements of Jesus in the book of John. Okay, in John's gospel, and John is very concerned that we understand who Jesus really is, that he's the son of God, he's the Messiah, and and at the end of John, he says, I've written all these things so that you might believe, and he wants us to understand the identity of Jesus as the true vine. Now, if you were to go into the temple in Israel, you would see like these ornate, decorative, um, like gold or brass statuettes of a vine all along the 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 columns it was a it was a symbol for israel they were god's vineyard and they would say that israel is the true vine and jesus says no 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 i am the vine the true israel i and, and anyone who rejects me rejects God rejects salvation. And that's why he talks about being removed and burned in the fire. It's to reject God. To reject Jesus is to reject God. And he says this, the father is the vine dresser. And if you looked at that, if you saw that word, um, I believe it is in verse two. Every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes. Now, I just want you to know there's a little bit of debate over the translation of the word remove. If you've driven by a vineyard recently, which there are some beautiful uh, vineyards around our area, when you drive past them, you'll notice that there's like this trellis system. Have y'all seen this, right? And it grows up and all the low branches are cut away and all of the branches are growing along the, the, the taller part, the trellis of the um, kind of the structure there. And the reason is that the low branches do not produce fruit. They're notoriously unfruitful. And so the vine dresser is going to take and lift the branches. And that word removes can also mean lift up. So this idea of God who, who sees his people that are being unfruitful and he lifts them up so that they can, they can produce more fruit. He lifts the unfruitful branches. So speaking to his disciples, he's going to speak about every branch as an individual person, which means he's talking to you individually, the one who remains. Let's talk about the word remain, and then we'll get into it. Remain it, it, or abide. That's what your translation might say, abide. He who abides, it means to remain, to dwell, to sojourn or tarry, to be held, to be kept continually or to wait for, to wait for. And the first thing that I think we need to understand about abiding is that the gracious offer of Jesus to you as a branch, an individual branch, is vital connection to him. 
you probably already know that, right? The gracious offer of Jesus to you is vital connection to him. Now, you probably have a lot of things that you desire, things that you pray for. Some of you might be single and you're praying for that spouse. You're like, Lord, I just want that spouse. I want that right person to come along. I want angels to sing when they show up and I'll just know like that's the one, right? Or if you're married, you're, you're praying for your relationship with your spouse, that it would be blessed and it'd be good. And maybe if there's stuff that you've been hashing through, you're praying about that. You might pray over your finances. Lord, we pray for money to fix that thing or this thing or to replace that thing or this thing. Right? We all have things that we desire, things that we pray for, probably things that we need. Parents or grandparents, you might pray over your kids. Lord, Protect them, bless them, help them, Lord. But the most important thing, the best thing that Jesus could ever give you is Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? The best thing Jesus could ever give you is vital connection to himself. Why do I say that? Because... You all know that there's always not quite enough money for everything on the list, right? And you also know that there's stuff that happens in your relationships, and you don't have control over everything out there in the world. You don't have control over everything with your kids. And, and we all have things that are just outside of our control, and we pray about it, and we want God to do awesome stuff. But guess what? In this life, you will have troubles, according to Jesus, and what's better than having a trouble-free life is having Jesus, a vital connection to Jesus. This part of John is called the farewell discourse, and he's preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to be crucified, he's going to be buried, He's going to raise again three days later, and then eventually he's going to ascend, and he's not going to be with them physically present. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, and you've been following him around, and you're seeing all the incredible things that he's doing, and you're like, what will we do without him physically here? And he begins to teach them in this part that there's something better. He even says later, it's for their benefit. It's better for you if I'm going to go away. I know you can't fathom that, but it's better for you because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to describe to them in this passage that there's a vital connection that's even better than being physically present with Jesus to remain or to abide in the vine. And it's for every person who believes in Jesus. And just consider this. Jesus, who is the risen and reigning son of God, who sits at the right hand of the father, who's the alpha and the omega, the one who, who's the lion of Judah, the, the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, the one through whom all things were created, that Jesus says to you, I want you to remain in me, to abide in me, and I will remain in you. I want to be vitally connected to you.
the gracious offer of Jesus. The second thing, Jesus wants it to be very, very clear to them. Nothing of significance can happen through your life without a vital connection to Jesus. Verse five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Now the truth is, you can do something, right? Lots of people do lots of things and they are not vitally connected to Jesus. They might even do things that you think are significant, like, wow, look at what they did, look at what they accomplished, look at what they built, look at all this, you know, wow. They did some things. But Jesus says that the things that we do apart from him will, in the grand scheme, amount to nothing. That there's coming a day when, when all the things will be tested by fire. And that which was done, that's pleasing to the Lord, only those things will remain in the, the illusion of the noise and the constant activity and the, the phone that's always buzzing in your pocket or in your purse. The, the illusion of all the stuff is that something significant is happening and I better not miss it. In to people like us who live in that kind of a world, Jesus says, look, there's nothing more significant than abiding in me. There's nothing more significant. There's a word throughout scripture, and the word is idle. You probably see that word if you've ever read scripture. Proverbs talks about idle hands and 1 Thessalonians, he says, warn those who are idle. And um, I'm a parent who has kids in sports, which means that I sit in parking lots with my car in idle a lot, okay? Because it's Houston, and if you were to roll down my, my windows, it would be like humid, and mosquitoes would kill me, and so I just decided to like roll the windows up. And I know it's not good for your car to sit there in idle for like long times, but Parents, let's be honest, we sit in idle a lot. And the, the concept of idle is this, right? The engine's running. Things are happening. If you were to look at the RPMs, like maybe, you know, 1,000, 2,000 RPMs per minute, that thing is humming along, the AC's on, the music's blaring because that's more fun, right? So we sit there in idle with the music on, and things are happening. But we're not going anywhere. And that word idle in scripture is like busybodies, people that are constantly doing something, but it amounts to nothing. It goes nowhere. Nothing of significance can happen through my life, through your life, without a vital connection to Jesus. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we, when we lack a vital connection to Jesus... We're prone to feel distant from God. We're prone to live off someone else's spirituality. And so your phone could buzz and say, a new podcast was released by XYZ people that you love to listen to. 
and they're having all these great revelations from God, and rather than meeting with God yourself, you could say, I'm just going to listen to that great podcast. We live off of someone else's spirituality. We feel distant from our own souls. We lose our own sense of identity and calling and purpose. We feel the constant undercurrent of anxiety. Without a vital connection to Jesus, we feel exhausted before the day begins. Hello? (laughs) That was me this morning. We become easy prey for the tempter, right? It's like this, whatever those things are that have that little bit of a pull for you, it's like, ah, when you're not connected to Jesus, it's just, you're more prone to be tempted, prone to compromise with sin or your favorite escape mechanism. See, without a vital connection to Jesus, we are in danger and nothing of consequence, nothing of significance can come out of our lives. But the, set, the third thing that Jesus tells us is that fruitfulness lies on the other side of abiding with Christ. And I, I don't know if you've ever had a fruit tree or fruit-bearing plant, but it's, it's such a fascinating thing because if you were to sit there and stare at that plant and just see if you could watch it grow, it, you know, you've heard of the phrase like watching paint dry, like, It's going to dry eventually, but to sit and watch it is like super slow. It's boring. And if you were to watch minute by minute, you would think like nothing's happening. But day after day, week by week, month by month, you see this change and it's amazing. It's the same way with this inner life of God that flows into us by abiding in the vine of Jesus. It's like things begin to come out of our lives that we're like, there's no way, it'll never happen, but there's this slow, almost imperceptible change that takes place when we abide with Jesus. The fruit grows, and in its season... In its season, you will see the harvest. You'll see the harvest. The other thing about fruit is that the grape on the vine isn't like, oh, I've got to grow. Right? The grape's not striving. The, the, the grape's not exerting energy. It's just hanging out on the vine. And then there's this incredible growth that takes place. And there's something freeing for us as people who want our lives to mean something, to have purpose, to have significance, to see things change on planet Earth because we follow Jesus. Like, I think all of us want that, but that doesn't happen just because we are trying to make it happen. It happens because we're people who abide in Jesus. So let's just talk about the art of abiding. Like, what does it look like for us to abide? And there's two things that we should consider. And the first is this what's in the text? Like, what, what were the elements that we just 
read. And the second thing is, what would the disciples be thinking, the original hearers, like what were they thinking as they're listening to Jesus? So let's start with the first. What's in the text? In verse seven, he says, if my words remain in you, if my word remains in you. And and to abide in Jesus is that we remain in his word. And very practically for us as people who desire to abide in Jesus, to be connected to the vine, we need to be people of the word. People who take time out of their day to just let the word of God begin to nourish us, to remain in it. And the second thing is he says, ask whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. You see, these elements of word and prayer are crucial to abiding in Jesus, word and prayer. The second thing, what would his disciples have understood this to mean? Well, they would be thinking of what Jesus did. What did they see Jesus do? And I just grabbed some of the the scriptures that describe what Jesus did. Here's what we see in the gospel accounts. In Matthew 14, verse 23, it says that after dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Well into the night, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying, Luke 5, 15 through 16. But the news about him spread even more and large crowds would come together to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Yet he often withdrew to deserted places and prayed. And so if I'm just putting my like, disciple hat on and I'm sitting in a room and Jesus is teaching and he's telling me to remain in him, to abide in him. I'm thinking about what Jesus has been doing. What he's modeled for us is that the son of God, the eternal son of God who was born of a virgin would withdraw often to pray and to abide with the father. In uh, his book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, John Mark Comer says, in Luke's gospel in particular, you can chart Jesus' life going along two access points. The busier and more in demand and famous Jesus became, the more he withdrew to his quiet place to pray. Meaning this, and this is good news for you if you feel like crazy in your life right now, okay? The more hectic things became, the more Jesus withdrew. The more hectic things became, the more Jesus withdrew to abide with the Father. If he needs time with God, guess what? I need time with God. And you need time with God. And I think it's harder than ever to do it. Husbands, wives, parents, 
busy stay-at-home moms, working moms, grandparents, singles, young people, teenagers. Did I leave anyone out? No? You need this. You need vital connection to Jesus. And guess what? We, as the world, need you vitally connected to Jesus. Your spouse needs you vitally connected to Jesus. Your child needs you vitally connected to Jesus. Your grandchild, your co we need the things to come out of your life that only God can bring out of your life. We need it. And we need you to have it. Significant things will come from your life. It's the promise of Jesus. The domino effect will inevitably take place. The fruit will come forth in season. Isn't that good? Something significant will come out of your life if you abide with Jesus. Oh, how we need it. So when I was a young man, just new in the faith, we would talk a lot about the quiet time. Y'all, did y'all ever use that word, the quiet time? People would say to you, have you had your quiet time lately? Now, for some of you, you're like, what? What does that mean? Let's talk about that. So the, the term quiet time was basically what we would call this pattern that we saw in the life of Jesus, that he would withdraw, he would pray, he was a man of the word. And so this became what we talked about in the 90s. And I think we should bring it back. We should make it cool to have a quiet time again, all right? And I just want to talk about that term quiet time. The first element is quiet. It's quiet. It's silence. And for you to for you to get quiet, it might mean you need to turn off like every device around you. It, it might mean that you have to get up a little bit earlier than like your children do because once they're up, it's like, whoa, you know, not quiet anymore. It, it might require uh, getting somewhere, a deserted place. It's just away in some, in some way. It's quiet. Blaise Pascal once said that all of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. All of man's problems. The external quiet is fairly doable, but if you've tried this, you know that it's the internal quiet that's harder to achieve, right? We have the, uh, I, I believe it's our attention span is now eight seconds, which is less than a goldfish, by the way. Hope you're encouraged today. Your internal attention span is diminishing. Our technology trains our minds just to go from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing without ever actually deeply considering any of it. But we need quiet on the outside and we need quiet on the inside. And the quiet is a silent revolt 
against the noise, the white noise that we live amongst. The, the second element is time. Because it says that Jesus often withdrew. And time is a crucial factor because time flies, right? Before you know it, the day's over. Time flies except when you're praying. Have you noticed that before? Some of you, you've maybe tried to challenge yourself. I've done this before. I'm like, I'm going to pray for 20 straight minutes. And I hit my knees and I start praying. And I look at the clock and I'm like, whoa, three minutes. Like, that's, that was three minutes, right? One minute feels like 20. And one hour feels like a whole day. But it's crucial that we have Time. I just want to try an experiment. Are y'all game for this? I, I want us to spend a moment in silence. We're going to do one minute in silence, okay? And here's what I want you to do. I just want you to put everything to the side, whatever you have in your lap, whatever, just put it to the side for a second, okay? Put it to the side. I just want you to sit with your palms raised, like in a, an open-handed posture to the Lord, Okay, if you're watching with us online, try this at home. It's going to be good for your soul. We're just going to do one minute of quiet. Ready? Here we go. Good job. That felt like an eternity. Right? How many of you, like, maybe 15 seconds and were like, is it over yet? One whole minute? One minute of silence. Time flies. Except when you're trying to abide in Jesus. Henry Nouwen, who um, was a fascinating, amazing man, a man that actually struggled with same-sex attraction for all of his life, and he chose a celibate life to honor Jesus. He was an amazing writer, respected man. He said, without solitude, it is virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. He says, we do not take the spiritual life seriously if we do not set aside some time to be with God and to listen to him. 
was interesting is that he visited Mother Teresa because he was dealing with a lot of issues in his life and he sought out spiritual direction from her. So he met with her and began to tell her about all the things and ask for her advice. And here's what she said. <laughs> this is beautiful. She said, well, when you spend one hour a day adoring our Lord and never do anything which you know is wrong, you will be fine. <laughs> Isn't that great? Well, one hour adoring Jesus and don't do anything wrong, you'll be good. Thank you, Mother Teresa. <laughs> Recently, uh, Pastor David Yonggi Cho passed away, and he started, founded, pastored the largest church in the world. is in South Korea, and it had about it has about. 850,000 members of the church. Okay, that's a massive church. And he talks about the early days, and he said the church was so small when he started that he had nothing to do, so he would pray for five hours a day. And that church actually became famous not just for the size, but for the prayer. They had a prayer mountain. And these people would pray. I mean, they would pray. I, um, were, I was meeting with some, some guys who were part of a disciple-making movement, and this movement started by, was started by a Chinese pastor in rural China. And this man is, uh, very few people know about him, have ever heard of him. His name is not shared because of the dangers of that in China. But this man um, saw a need for the gospel to penetrate China where the conditions were poor and people were working all the time. And, and so he developed this system of just teaching people how to share their faith and to make disciples. And they said about this man that he prays for two hours a day and that he just, he's just known for praying, Jesus, I'm nothing, but you are everything. I'm nothing, but you're everything. I hear stories like this as a pastor, and it's so fascinating that extraordinary abiding results in extraordinary fruit. Extraordinary abiding results in extraordinary fruit. Could it be that simple? People who seek Jesus, who abide with him in secret places, who are people of the word, people of prayer, they see God do these amazing things, and it doesn't make sense. It's like you're wasting how much time sitting in a room praying? It's like there's no waste if you're pursuing the Father. As Jesus said, the one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. My father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. I'm going to make a guess that most of us in the room 
probably can't give five hours a day to praying. You're not a pastor of a small church that has five hours of time to kill during the day. Most of you probably don't have two hours a day to kill, right? And honestly, um, it would be like trying to run a marathon without ever training, right? Have you ever tried that before? Just run 26 miles straight without ever doing any training, right? You would die. Don't do that, okay? Don't try that. It's the same with seeking God. There's, there's a, an endurance that we learn in how to abide with Jesus. And so I just want to issue a simple challenge this week. I want to challenge you in this, that you would abide with Jesus in a quiet time for five straight days this week. Five straight days. And it may be that you're like 15 minutes, I'm, I'm just gonna pray and one minute's gonna feel like five hours. So I'm, I'm gonna pray in, in, some, in some scripture. I'm gonna read some scripture. If you don't have a, a portion of scripture that you read daily, I'd recommend Matthew 5, chapters 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. You can just kind of take snippet by snippet, piece by piece, and just absorb it. Just let the Spirit point out whatever he's going to point out to you in that time. And just pray. If you don't know what to pray, one thing that I do is I'll just start with the Lord's Prayer slowly. Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory. I pray it slowly because what happens is I have a, a attention span less than a goldfish. And so I, do, I say one part, and by the time I get to the next part, like my mind's on like something else, and so I have to bring my thoughts back. And you'd be amazed if you just focus, focus, and just praying the Lord's Prayer simply. And then some other things will come into your heart, some things that you want to cover in prayer. I just want to challenge you this week. Would you spend five days, five straight days, abiding with Jesus? Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To contact us or find out more information, visit rin-church.org.